what foreshadowing is? It shows up a lot in movies where something at the beginning of the movie will happen that's, that's broadcasting what's going to be happening in the future. And Marvel movies do this a lot, don't they? Like one of the classic examples is Captain America and the First Avenger. If you remember how that movie opens, you find Steve Rogers, this little scrawny guy, fighting a bully in an alley. And what does he do? He grabs the garbage lid, hides behind it, and it's supposed to make you go, oh my gosh, it's Captain America, he's got a shield. But just as foreshadowing as grabbing that garbage bin is what he says, isn't it? If you remember, he gets knocked down, and then he stands up, writes himself, and says, I can do this all day. And it's foreshadowing his perseverance, his steadfastness in the face of adversity, whether it be uh, people that don't believe in him in the U.S. Army or fighting Red Skull and Hydra. It's what makes Captain America Captain America and why we admire him so much. But it, we also uh, can't emulate it. We can't emulate him, can we? Tragically, uh, we can't do it all day. It takes one word, one uh, scornful remark, one excluded experience for us to be KO'd. It really would be nice to be like Cap, to be able to stand firm, but we just can't do it. Well, if any of the churches that received a letter from Jesus were like Cap, it would be the church in Philadelphia. Their situation isn't necessarily unique from the other churches we've been looking at. They're facing hostility and resistance from the Jewish popula population. Uh, they are beaten down. They are shunned and, and, and uh, in poverty. And yet, like Cap, they somehow stand firm, seemingly able to do this all day. But, but here's the reality. No one, not even Cap, can do that all day which is why Jesus is writing them this letter. Like with the church of Smyrna that we looked at before, Jesus is reviewing the church, yes, but he's really more interested in, in revealing what's going on there and encouraging them to stand firm, to hold fast, to persevere. And so what we're looking at for tonight is how does Jesus encourage them to hold fast, to stand firm, and how does that encourage us as well? And there's really one controlling image woven throughout this letter that, that illustrates that, and it all starts with a door. Uh, look again at verses 8 and 9 with me. It says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have not, but, and yet you have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. You'll notice that the church of Philadelphia has an open door before them. They have a, a unique opportunity. But this really isn't a passage about one door. It's actually a passage about several doors. See, this one door is open to them because several others have been closed. They've been shunned. They have lost their jobs, their status, their wealth. All of these doors have been closed so that this one can be open. And there really is nothing more frustrating than a closed door, right? A seemingly excellent opportunity that when you try to walk through it, it just closes in your face. And oftentimes, these closing doors seem to be quite arbitrary. 
there doesn't seem to be a, a good reason why they don't want you on the team or why they won't give you playing time. There's no logical reason why that store or that restaurant who is desperate to hire anyone doesn't seem to want to hire you. It can be aggravating, discouraging, and sometimes fear-inducing when door after door is shut in your face. And it would be the most natural thing in the world to just stop trying to just stay down on the ground. But here's what Jesus is trying to get across. Doors are not arbitrary. There's always someone who is opening and closing them. And the part of the Apostle Paul's story really demonstrates that in a concrete way. Uh, If we were to turn over to the book of Acts, chapter 16, starting in verse 6, we would read how Paul and his companions went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they came up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, Passing by Messiah, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called them to preach the gospel. Short passage, but each time, notice, there's a door closed. Paul runs into door after door after door until God, he gets to the open door that God has for him. And it tells us two very important things about doors in our lives. One, God is the one opening and closing them. But two, open doors do not equal personal benefit or personal advancement. We get that wrong sometimes. We think that every open door has to somehow benefit us. But in Paul's case, or even here in the church of Philadelphia, there are doors about kingdom advancement. Uh, notice again in what God is doing in verse 9, that, that he's bringing the synagogue of Satan, which remember is, is Jews that think that they are obeying God, but they're really not, bringing them and, and through the persecution, through the perseverance of the church of Philadelphia, they're hearing the truth. They're seeing the truth lived out before them. And so Jesus is encouraging the believers in Philadelphia to press on, to stand firm, because their hardship has a purpose. Their hardship is not arbitrary, and neither is yours. And I'm not going to glamorize it. Oftentimes, it's still going to stink. You're probably not going to understand why certain doors are closed and other ones are open. But make no mistake, God has never wasted a closed door. And we should be encouraged by that fact. But if we're honest with one another, we're not always encouraged by that fact. Sometimes there's this nagging feeling inside of us. We want to know, why can't I have that door? Why can't that door be opened for me? I don't know if you've ever stayed in an Airbnb. Uh, Em and I have found it's the best way to travel with little kids. It's, It's just nice to have the whole house to yourself. And inevitably, when you show up in a new place, you kind of explore, you get lay of the land. And inevitably, in every Airbnb, there is the locked door. Whether it's just like a a pantry or or a separate room, and logically, we know it's towels or cleaning supplies or a change of sheets, but it's like the principle of the thing. We paid for the whole house, so why is this room cut off? Why can't we have access to this? And really, what it's a reminder of is that we aren't the ones who have power in that house. The one who has power over the house 
is the one with the key. See, whoever holds the keys holds the power. Did you notice who holds the keys in our passage? It's the one speaking. In verse 7, we're told that it's the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Jesus has the keys. He has the power to open and shut doors in our lives. And much like with an Airbnb, we don't often notice it. We can really go through most of our life and not even give much thought to the fact that Jesus is the one with the keys until we come to that door that door that we would like opened, and for whatever reason, we can't do it. And we're reminded that we don't actually have the keys. And when we come to that, our gut reaction is to be frustrated, to throw up our hands and say, what are you doing, God? This is a good door. Why is it locked? And we think to ourselves, if I only had the keys, I would do it better. I would do it this way. See, in hardships, it's very easy to think that we know better or care about ourselves more than God, to want to take the keys of our life and open all the doors that we see fit. But I want you to listen very carefully again to verse 9. I want you to listen for what it reveals about God and his relationship to the, to the, the believers in Philadelphia. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. What do the open and therefore the closed doors point to? What does the synagogue of Satan learn from watching the church in Philadelphia? They learn that God loves the believers there, that God has been using the keys, using all the power that he has for their good because of his great love for them. Jesus' point here is to encourage the Philadelphians to stand firm in the face of adversity because the one who holds the keys, the one opening and closing the doors, loves them. And the same is, is true of you. And here's how we know. Because of the door that was closed on Jesus. If, if there was ever someone who deserved to have every door open for them, given every opportunity, shown every favor, it was Jesus. And, and yet we are told that he laid that all aside, that every door was closed on him as he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. But his death wasn't arbitrary. Rather, it was the way in which you and I might become children of God that now Jesus has all keys, including those of death and Hades, to make all things work for the good of those who love him. So how do we stand firm like Cap? How do we persevere like the church in Philadelphia? Well, we need to be convinced and committed to the one who has keys to open and close doors. And how we maintain that commitment, how we stay close to the one with the keys, is to pray. Now, when we pray, it's normally a list of requests, a to-do list for God. And that really just results in frustration when God doesn't answer the way we want. But here's what Jesus holding the keys testifies to us. That God will either give us what we ask for, or he will give us what we ask for if we knew everything he knew. See, it, it changes the perception. 
Every time something happens, whether you asked for it or not, you can be assured that God is acting in your favor. And so prayer becomes less of a give me what I think is best and more of an opportunity, yes, to petition God, but also to praise him as he works in your life. So here's the point. We can stand firm and endure because Jesus holds the keys and opens the doors. Which means um, that as someone aptly put it, we can stand firm. We can do this all day. Because in Jesus, our bad things turn out for good. Our good things can never be taken away. And the best things are yet to come.